So some contention between the UAW and Ford Motor Company, particularly stemming on the comments from Jim Farley that they are going to reevaluate their their footprint as it pertains to building vehicles because their relationship with the UAW is is different after the negotiated contracts that happened uh, in in 2023. There's also this story where the UAW is threatening a new strike at the Ford Kentucky plant to help us break it all down. Merrick Masters, the business professor and labor expert at Wayne State University, joins us. Professor, good to have you back. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it very much. Good afternoon. Did you, uh, let, let's kind of, let's start with the bigger news in chronological order. Jim Farley came out and talked about this relationship with the UAW, how it's different, how they're going to look at their manufacturing footprint going forward. What did you make of those comments and what does it signal to you? Well, I think he said the quiet part out loud. He's obviously making a statement to signal to investors that they're keeping their options open and will make sound business decisions going forward. And I think that everybody recognizes that management has a prerogative to make those kinds of decisions. He said the quiet part out loud, and I think uh, obviously that he knew at the time that he said it or should have known that it was going to arouse the UAW, and they responded accordingly by signaling that they thought maybe that it's time for Ford to look for a new CEO. Does that did that surprise you when you heard that from him? Um, uh, obviously, the ramifications are pretty big, but did it surprise you to hear that from Jim Farley? Um, not really. I think that there are some sore feelings. I think during the course of the negotiations, um, he had some concerns about the approach that the UAW was taking. And I don't think that Sean Thane um, made any effort to really uh, assuage those concerns. I think what perhaps Ford expected is that they would get some social credits for a good relationship in the past and having more hourly workers than the other companies. But Sean Thane made clear from day one when he took over that this was a new era, that cozy relationships with management are over, and that he was going to use a new approach in the negotiations. And he did that. He bargained hard. And I think it's important to remember that both parties signed the contract, and now they have an obligation to move forward. Now, whether or not this helps things move forward, I don't know. But both men are probably big enough to not let this interfere with their jobs. Uh, what is the what are the ramifications of this? I mean, could could you see a scenario where Ford moves production uh, of their of their any of their vehicle offerings uh, to locations outside of UAW jurisdiction? Um, or, or do you think they stay pat for the most part? Well, I think that they'll look at these decisions going forward and make the best decision based on the business case that is made, and that may include locating facilities elsewhere. But they certainly have the prerogative to do that, and I wouldn't expect them to do anything different. In the meantime, the UAW uh, is threatening um, a strike at Ford's Kentucky plant. That is one of their huge money makers. They produce the Ford Super Duty there, the Expedition, the Lincoln Navigator. Um and and there is some sort of contract issue with the local UAW there. What is the issue uh, at at the heart of it, and um, and what what are the impacts of this potential strike? Well, I think they have concerns about health and safety issues. 
and the preservation of the integrity of the skilled trades. They don't want to see any diminution in the, um, those positions. I think that it boils down to health and safety mainly. And in the UAW negotiations, they decouple their local from their national negotiations. So historically, it's not been uncommon to have local strikes which have followed the national agreements. Mm-hmm. And this is just another example of that. I wouldn't read too much into it. I think the parties locally as well as nationally, the UAW nationally has to approve of a strike before it can take place. And so Chuck Browning, the international vice president, has asked Sean Fing to approve of a strike by the members at that local if they want to. And we'll wait and see what happens. Perhaps this is an extra nudge they need in order to get things done. I don't want to be hyperbolic here or or you know, try to paint a picture of, of fear or anything like that. But it, it does feel like a new frontier in the auto industry with a lot of questions about the future of, of what type of automobile we'll be driving, whether it's electric vehicles or gas-powered vehicles or hybrids. Um, but, but it does feel like a, a, a pretty important marker in the, in the automotive history. Where, where do you think that we stand today in terms of the future Well, I think that the auto companies in the U.S., uh, the the big three, so to speak, are um, particularly Ford and GM being headquartered in the U.S. They are behind in the transition to electrification and need to get caught up. And they're very concerned. I think Jim Farley was absolutely right to be concerned about the potential Chinese footprint. In the United States, China has indicated that they may be building a facility in Mexico, and they are selling cars, um, EVs in Europe, as kind of a beta test for perhaps uh, importing cars to the United States at some point in time in the future. The situation in the auto industry is wrought with a lot of structural challenges, technology, as well as environmental climate issues that put pressure on companies to electrify their fleets. And I don't think these things are going to dissipate. I think, if anything, uh, the competition globally is going to be keener, and it's going to be less U.S. and European-centric and more Chinese and Indian-centric. And we're going to have to to, adapt to that kind of uh, reality. And from from a big three perspective, is that the the I mean, obviously the reason to to stay on pace with some of these companies is so important. But is that why they need to maintain a, a strong hold in the United States? Well, I think they 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 will have to begin to think in terms of where they can make the most money, mm. and they realize that their markets here are are smaller in terms of the demographics than they are in other parts of the world. And so they'll have to be able to sell vehicles that make them more money because they can't compete really on the volume. When you look at the situation recently, uh, China and India sold over 30 million vehicles Mm -hmm. in a recent year. The U.S. and Europe, the European Union combined, sold about 28 Mm -hmm. million. Uh, So that's the new reality that we face, that – they have huge markets, 
And China has made it clear it's a command and control economy, and it can determine what will be done and produced and not have to worry about the profit loss statements that uh, American companies do. A very important arms race, certainly. Merrick Masters, always good to get your insight. Thank you so much for the time once again. Thank you for having me today. Take care. Yep, you do the same. That's Merrick Masters at Wayne State. We got to take a break, get you caught up on some of the news making headlines. We'll also get to your phone calls, your texts coming up next as we continue on here on WJR.